Well, hey everyone, good morning. It is great to see you this morning, and yeah, I hope you're having a great weekend. Hey, I too, my name is Jeff, by the way, and I too just want to say uh, welcome to you. If you're a guest here with us this morning, uh, we're so glad that you're here. You know, you, maybe you received an invitation to come, and I remember my, the first time I went to a church like Brookside, and uh, I remember some of even the reservations that I had going into a church, and, um, and I just want to say to you, you came today, and uh, we're just so blessed to have you here, and we really hope that you always uh, feel welcome in this place. You know, our mission as a church is very simple. Um, we want to do everything that we can as a church to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. So we, we look at that, that mission and we say, starting from the very youngest ones all into our youth and then all the way on up as a church, what we want to do is everything that we can to help people find and follow the God that we know loves them and that cares for them. And maybe even for you this morning, <clears throat> you've never heard this before, you've never heard that God is for you. You never let that really kind of land in your heart. And so our mission as a church is we want to lean in and we want to remove every roadblock that we can because we believe that if a person has Jesus Christ at the center of their life, not only will they think that their life is better, but that the experiences of their life and the reality of them knowing this God that loves and knows them, uh, it's incredible. And so that's really our hope. And so we're so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we're in a series, uh, and the series, as you've heard, is called Behind the Scenes. And, and whether it's the big behind-the-scenes moments that lead up to a big child's moment on Christmas morning, maybe you've got one of those coming up for a, a kid that you know, or it's maybe all the behind-the-scenes moments that come to a family gathering around this time, or even much more significantly, it's all the behind-the-scenes, it's all the backstory that goes into your story. It's everything that goes behind the, the, who you are and the circumstances even uh, that you face. And here's what we know. When you know the backstory, you appreciate so much more the end game. Maybe you've built a business, you've built a company, or maybe you've built a reputation or a family. And so you know because you've been in all the steps, you've been through the journey, you appreciate the end game maybe more than anybody else. We know this, that this time of year, oftentimes we can look at a scene like this, um, manger scene, and and very familiar to us, right? Oftentimes we can look at something like that or we can walk by it. I remember as a kid, uh, some of our neighbors had one like this, big, elaborate. And, and I remember for so many years, I, I drove by that and it really didn't mean that much to me. But in order for it to really mean something, because honestly, who's at the center of this scene right now all across the world, millions and millions of people are worshiping joyfully the one in the center of the scene. Now, we can look at the scene and go, well, it, it looks too perfect and, and definitely too Caucasian. And, you know, and, 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 and it's, just, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a picture, it's a representation. But if we don't know what's behind the scenes, you know what is true? We can maybe, we can not appreciate the magnitude of what that scene actually means. And so today what I want to do is I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in the New Testament that I believe is going to help us understand everything that goes in behind the scenes. Because again, when you understand what's behind the scenes, this isn't just cute. This isn't just traditional. This doesn't just have a little bit of meaning. But this represents something that people rally behind and they say, I will joyfully worship the one at the center of that. So, but you have to go behind the scenes in order to get there. And so I want you to think even before we get to the New Testament and this book of Philippians where we're going to land today. I want you to think even further back uh, behind the scenes than that. I want you to step clear back. I want you to think about what it was like at the very beginning 
all the way back to the the point of creation, Genesis chapter 1. One of the amazing things that we know is this, that at the beginning of creation, when creation really came to its pinnacle, God's most prized possession that he created was you. It was people. And we see this over and over again, that the love that God has for people, his most prized possessions, it's off the charts. But we know this too. Those people that God created in his image, which was saying so much about his love and his care for people. What we know is this, God's beautiful design quickly became broken, Genesis chapter 3. And we realized that brokenness entered the scene and so things were not the way that God intended them to be. And from there we see things continue to kind of spiral out of control. Sin enters the picture and what was beautiful is now broken. And you don't have to listen to the news, but for about five seconds, and you can realize just how broken this world still is today. We're plagued by this thing called sin. It entered. You're guilty of it. I am very guilty of it. And it plagues us day after day after day. And it highlights, though, why this is so important. It highlights, and we're going to see this come to life this morning. We're going to look at this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to call it really for us this morning. I think it's really an anchor passage for us. It's an anchor passage for the Christian faith, and here's why. It brings to life in just four verses so much of the storyboard of the gospel. You know, when you think of an anchor, and maybe you feel like this, that your life, sometimes you kind of go through a season of life where things are really in flux, right? Some big waves coming your way. Think about what you do. If you're out boating, and you want to find a good place to swim, and so you keep looking and looking and looking, and, or you want to find a good place to, to fish, or maybe even you want to just, you know, tidy things up and, and, and spend the night there on the boat, you, what do you do in that moment when you find the good, pl- the good place? You drop the anchor because you want to stay in that sweet spot. Where we're going this morning, it's one of those sweet spots because, again, in four verses we see almost the entire storyboard of the Christian faith. We see not only what Jesus did, but we see all of the why behind it. And so my goal for you this morning is this, and maybe this will be new to you this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. I hope that you'll be able to leave here today with beyond a shadow of a doubt you knowing this, that God is not distant. That when God looks at you, when he looks at me, when God looks at his people, when God thinks about his most prized possessions, he's not distant. He is so incredibly close. You know, you might be in the season of life right now where you would say, God's presence is very real to me. Sometimes even just this time of year can bring that about for people. Um, Or maybe you would say this, though, you're in a season of life that God is not present. And as a matter of fact, you have questions, you have doubts, and God's not afraid of your questions, and God is not intimidated by your doubts. But maybe you're in a season of life where you're actually, you've hit some pretty big walls, and the waves are pretty big in your life, and, and you're asking some big questions, some questions like this, does God even care? Is the presence of God even very real? Can God truly be known? Does God really show up in people's life, like for real? Like, does he really know me? Can he really meet me here? Is God really worth me pursuing? Big questions. And so let's go to our text again, Philippians chapter 2. You can go there, maybe if you've got an app, or you can turn there now. Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to see... Again, this, this is like the essence of, of Christmas, but even so much more than that, this text answers the question, who is Jesus Christ? And if you're on a journey here today and you're asking those questions, who is Jesus? And what does that mean for me? 
First, I want to commend you because that's the smartest, that's the wisest thing, that's the wisest question I believe that you could ask. And so it says this, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now know this, this passage is really talking to us about uh, how we relate to other people. It's challenging how we relate to other people. But in the context of that, we see these nuggets of truth that come out very clearly that highlight, okay, that manger scene is so much more than a manger scene. And it highlights who exactly is Jesus Christ. So here we go. Uh, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as, as Christ Jesus. Here we go. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Now think about this. Verse 7, rather it says he made himself nothing. Think about how strong that word is. We're talking about the creator God of the universe making himself nothing. And then it going on to saying that taking the very nature of a servant. So from from creator God, Genesis 1, all the way down to now, towel over my arm, I'm a servant. And being made in human likeness. Think about this. You don't become an infant. The greatest display of vulnerability. Unless you truly love the people that you came for. It's a great display of God's love and his humility. His desire even. And then verse 8. And it says, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Now the reason why. This passage is so significant. Why it's an anchor passage for the follower of Jesus Christ is this. It's because it speaks to this reality that God himself, think about this, he gave up his divine privileges and he became a man. And so when you walk by a manger scene, it's not just a manger scene. And it's not just a cute baby in the nativity scene. No, it is so much more than that. Why? Because our creator God went to the most humble place that he could possibly go. Think about that. And you know, there's this Old Testament name for Jesus. It's repeated again in the New Testament. And you've heard it before. Rob mentioned it this morning. It's this word, Emmanuel. And it literally means God is with us. God is not distant. And not only is that just a, it's not just a name for God, but it's a reality for you. It's a reality for me. It's not just a title, it's a reality. Emmanuel, God is actually with us. Let me ask you, have you ever had someone give up something so that you could have something that you really needed? And, and maybe you didn't even know that you needed it. Have you ever had that happen? Someone did that for you. you know, there's this man that's uh, known really around the world. And he's known as a, a psychologist and a radio host. And time and time again, he's known as a, a best-selling author. His life has touched literally millions and millions of people. But very few people have ever heard the story of this man's father. When his would-be well-known son was just a boy, his father was a pastor. And he was a pastor of a growing ministry. He had a growing ministry, a growing career. And this guy was in high demand. People were seeking him out, hey, come and speak in our venue. So much so that the demand got to the point where if you wanted him to speak in your venue, then it was going to be four years out. That's how far out he was booking. Well, in the midst of all the demand and, you know, you know pressure on his schedule, as you can imagine, him and his wife devised a system just in order for him to continue to be a dad and everything else. And so they said, you'll, you'll be able to travel for a couple weeks, but then you need to come home for a week, and then you can travel a little bit more, and then you can come home. And everything seemed good. 
Everything seemed good. They had one son and everything, this plan seemed to be working until one day when his wife called him on the road. And as you can imagine, I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but they had a strong-willed son. Does anyone in here have a strong-willed son? Let's, Lord knows. Yeah, we should just pray for each other right now, right? God have mercy on us, right? Um, but anyway, so he had, they had a strong-willed son and she says, you, you need to come home. He's being a pill. He's being disrespectful, and, and you need to come home. And so in the midst of that, though, they didn't know that the son was actually listening to their, their conversation. He's a teenager now. And, and so the dad came home, and he, in a matter of days, had a for sale sign in the front yard. He canceled all the bookings he had for the next four years. And then he went out, and he accepted this job at this small church out in the country in a different state. And so they moved. They pulled up everything. And he pastored this small church then for a scoot of years until his son went off to college. Now, by the time, though, that he, his son went off to college and he could return to ministry pace as he once knew it, all of those people that were singing his praises had moved on. And all of those opportunities had sailed. And his ministry platform never recovered to where it had been before, where it probably would have impacted millions and millions of people. His dad stepped down, though, didn't he, from the prestige and from the applause and from the demand. Why? Because he wanted to be present with his son. He wanted to be present with his son. And he had hopes that one day his son, Dr. James Dobson, would one day honor God with his life. Think about this for a second. The greatest thing that God gives you, it's his presence. The greatest way that God demonstrates his love for you is that he shows up in your life. Emmanuel, God literally with us. But let's be honest. Have you ever wondered, have you ever asked, God, are you near? Have you ever been going through a trial and you, you, you literally were crying out to God and you were wondering, does he truly hear me? I know some of your stories. I know some of the things that some of you are facing in these moments, in these weeks right now. And you're asking these questions, God, do you really hear me? God, do you really care? God, do you really understand where I'm at? And I want to encourage you this morning, if you read through the scriptures, one of the characters that you'll come across, and one of the things that Christians do is we open the Bible and we say, hey, God, what can we learn from the people that you've been in their lives in the past? And one of those people is King David. And what I love about King David is this, he was the kind of guy that God said of him, he is a man after my own heart, but... If you look into David's life, it was littered with problems. If you think you've gone too far, like you're beyond the reach of God, you should read the Bible and read about David. Because if you think God, you've gone too far away from God's reach, you'll be encouraged by his story. But what I love about David is this. He was so real with God. He was honest with God. He had times where he just cried out to God. Psalm chapter 13, he said this. Think about just how loaded this statement is. He said, how long, Lord? Question mark. There's a lot behind that, isn't there? How long, Lord? Come on. Maybe your back's against the wall. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Lord, how long will my enemy triumph over me? And then, if you keep reading through his train of thought, you keep reading through the psalm, it's like David flips a switch. It's like in this moment, it's like David realizes, okay, okay, that's, that might be how I feel, and that's my circumstances, but now I'm going to go to the truth about who I know God to be, 
And so then I'm going to remind myself, okay, God is, okay, Old Testament, yeah, God is Emmanuel. And Emmanuel, that means God with us, which means God with me. And okay, that's just not a title for God, that's a reality then for me. And so then David says things like this, verse 5, he says, but I will trust I will trust in your unfailing love, and my heart will rejoice in your salvation. And know this, David was so aware of his need for God's salvation. David was definitely a guy that he realized, my sin has separated me from this holy God that I long to worship. And there's a gap between me and him, so I desperately need, in, in light of my own sin, I need the salvation of God. And then he says this, verse 6, I will sing, of, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. In other words, God, you are for me. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever realized, have you ever walked by a manger scene and realized that God is not only with me, but God is for me? Have you ever realized that God loves to love you? We oftentimes hear the opposite of that. You feel the opposite of that. God longs to love you. He is not distant from you. And there is no greater way that God could have demonstrated the fact that he is with us and that he loves us and that he longs to be in relationship with us and allow us to be free from guilt and shame and sin and the bondage that we oftentimes live in. There's no greater way that God could have said that to us than in the way that he came. Totally God. Totally God but also totally man in utter humility. Go back with me to verse 6 of Philippians chapter 2. It says this, who is speaking of Jesus here, who being in very nature God, so again, don't gloss over that, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now that phrase there, to be used to his own advantage, it translates into one Greek word, and it just, it just simply means this, to grasp or to hold tightly to. I mean, think about this. Found in Jesus, we have all the power of God, yet Jesus never played the God card. He could have. He could have grasped onto the power. He could have held tightly on to it, but he never did. Instead, he made himself nothing, and he took on the very nature of a human so that he could relate to you and relate to me. Verse 7 then, rather, what did he do? He made himself nothing by taking. Important word there, taking. He was not forced into this. It was not demanded of Jesus. He did this will willingly. Now, now realize this. We think nativity scene, cute, Jesus, powerful. But we've also got to kind of wed that image of Jesus with what we see clear at the end of our Bibles. And that's this. We see in Revelations that, that, that around Jesus, the heavenly host is like gathered around him and they're worshiping him. And it's not like a cute baby moment. It's like this. They're saying of our creator, of Jesus, the one who came as a child in utter humility, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. You are worthy. They keep repeating this. Our God, our Lord and our God, you're worthy of what? To receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things. The one that one day every knee would bow to, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. 
and he understands your tragedy, and he understands your highest high, and he understands your lowest low. And isn't it true that sometimes it's easy to see God in the high highs, but other times it's hard to see him in the low lows, but he's there. And the thing that amazes me is this, is that while, yes, he came as a man and that was so humble, there will be a day when we will worship him. And we do because of that, but definitely we also see this. He is to be praised. He is to be feared. He is to be revered. And I don't mean fear like I'm scared of you, but I mean feared like I respect you and I long to honor you. You know, when you see a parent or a CEO or some, really anyone in authority, when you see someone in authority serve someone underneath them, maybe in a position underneath them, you take note of that, don't you? I do. I love to see that. I think, it's, I think it's cool. I saw it just this week in a small business, and I thought, wow, look at that. He's serving them. So cool. What an example. There's a show that came out a couple of years ago called Undercover Boss. You remember this? And um, the show was a huge hit. And it's a story of how they take these owners, business owners, CEO types, and general managers, and then, then they allow them to go undercover in their companies. And I mean big companies, even the locally, you know, like Oriental Trading and Frontier Airlines and the Chicago Cubs and DirecTV, those kinds of companies. And these bosses, what do they do? They take off their suits and they give up all the privileges of their positions and then they enter in. They put on the company uniform. They need to, they put on the steel toe boots. They put on the, the bad wig and the fake glasses and nobody recognizes them for a week and they get into the lives of their employees. And oftentimes they do the dirtiest jobs that they can find and oftentimes they struggle to, to do them. They, sometimes they get corrected in how to do it right. But the most intriguing part and the most touching part I think of the show is this, it's when the bosses begin to understand the real life struggles that their employees go through. It's when you hear that boss or you see that boss break down in tears because he realizes I've got a single mom working for me and I'm realizing how many things that she juggles in a week just to be here, just to pay the bills. You see, you see that CEO choke up because he realizes, wow, this guy's working the night shift, not because he enjoys being up late at night, but because he wants to see his kid through college. You realize that this elderly woman is actually still trying to work because the medical bills are so mounted and, you know, against her. And the theme that always comes out, though, at the end of the show is this. It's the gratitude that the employees express because they so appreciate that their boss has been with them. And they feel like, she gets me. He understands. He saw what I went through. And I'm not alone. Think about this for a minute. Don't miss this. Jesus left the kingdom of heaven so that he could be with you. It's one of the very meanings of his name. In the book of Hebrews, it says that, that Jesus is not unable to sympathize with us, like to, to enter in with us because he came and he was tempted in every way just like we are, yet he wasn't overcome by that temptation. And as a result of him and the way that he came, he's able to enter into the highest highs and to the lowest lows. And then look with me at verse 8. And this is, a, again, this anchor passage comes to a culmination. Verse 8. 
It says, and being found in the appearance as a man, he, Jesus Christ, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we've got Jesus now through his life getting to the point, knowing that it would happen all along the way. He could have stopped it in a heartbeat. But instead he went through it. He was obedient all the way to death. Matthew chapter 10 verse 45 says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served. I mean, that just, I'll be honest, this time of year in church world, things are going so fast and, you, you know, you're just kind of moving through. And I needed to slow down and study this this week. Because you know what this tells me? For even the Son of Man, even the, the, the manger scene, even the, 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 the baby, he did not come to be served. But what? This is a mind blower. Your creator, God, did not come to be served. He did not come to be treated like a normal king, but he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, a ransom gets paid. Think about this. A ransom gets paid every time that a crime has been committed. That's what a ransom is. And so when Jesus Christ looks at my own life and he looks at my backstory, he peels back the onion of my life and looks into my history, looks into my last week, you know what Jesus does? He pays the ransom for my wrongdoing. Jesus pays the, the penalty for the crime of my sin. And he does that willingly. He does that so that I don't have to feel the guilt and the shame and be responsible for my sin. So his life then becomes my redemption. His suffering becomes my freedom. His heavenly throne that he gives up allows me, allows you to become a child of, a child of God. I mean, that's unlike any other religion in how you are seen. You are seen as a child of the living God. Think about that. It blows your mind. And then verse 9, look at this. The passage comes together. Therefore, it says, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, and rightly so, that at the name of Jesus Christ, church, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. You know, when we look behind the scenes into the life of Jesus, he is a king who became a servant. And that causes you, and it should cause me, to not look at worshiping him at all as, that's my duty. That's what I should do. That's what I know. I look at what he did and particularly how he came and it brings a smile to my face and I say, God, I will joyfully worship you because you are unlike any God. Kings don't act like that. But when they're God and when they look at their most prized possessions, you, and when they know that the only way to, to fill in the gap between our sin and our loving God is for Jesus to do what he did, I will worship, and I will seek to do that with a glad heart. There's a story of, from this great Danish philosopher. His name is Soren Kierkegaard, and the story is about this king. And one day this king is out in, in his kingdom, you know, as kings do. He's walking around, and he's looking at everything that he owns, right? And so he's going from village to village, and he's just observing the masses of all that he has in his kingdom, and so as he's doing it, though, he sees to his surprise out in the middle of this village, kind of a run-down village, and out in the middle of the field, he sees this peasant worker. It's a woman. But the thing about her is she captures his heart. He sees her. I mean, she's the most beautiful woman that he's ever seen. And as he's out walking around, he says to himself, I have fallen in love just by seeing her. 
And so he thinks to himself, okay, he goes back to the, his, his uh, you know, palace and, and, you know, he's the king. And he's thinking to himself, yeah, but she's just a peasant woman and there's no way there's such a distance and such a, even just a gap, you know, economically and everything else between the two of us. And then he has this aha moment. And he says to himself, yeah, but I'm the king. And this is my kingdom. And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll issue a decree and I'll stamp it with my signet ring and, and I'll, in the decree, I'll make it very clear that I'm going to take this woman and I'm going to bring her in and she's going to live with me and we'll be married and it'll be great and I'll give her the best food and the best drink and the best wing of the palace and I'll surround her with a great court and I'll give her everything that she could possibly want and we'll live happily ever after. Well, then one of his advisors, the king's advisor, says to him, says, hey, king, may I suggest that there's a flaw in your plan? And king goes, well, what is it? And so then the, you know, the advisor says, well, here's the thing. You can, order, you can order a royal decree, and you can stamp it with your ring, and it will carry such authority because you are the king, my lord. And he says, you can provide her with the best food and the best drink and the best company, and you can surround her and take her to the best, give her the best wing of the palace. You can do all of that, but there's one problem. If you do that and she comes, which she will have to come, you will never know if she truly loves you. And you, you'll never know if she actually wants to be with you in your palace. And the king says, you're right. That's why I pay you so much money. Yep. And so then later that week, time goes by and the king can't get her out of his mind though. He's obsessed with this woman. So he continues to think about her, and he, a- he asks himself the question, and he thinks about this, and he says, well, then, if, if I can't call her to myself, I'll go out to her, and I'll go to her, and I'll, I'll take her out, I'll take her to Applebee's, and, and I'll, I'll win her heart, and Applebee's works for me, you know, I'm thinking it could have worked for him. Anyway, so he's thinking, I'll just, I'll go to her, I'll get on her terms. And so then his advisor, though, steps up again and says, ah, my lord, my king, I think there's a flaw in your plan. He says, I see a flaw in your plan because you've got to think about how you travel. I mean, when you go somewhere, we go. When you travel, we all travel. And when we go into a city, the people know that you're coming well in advance because we hit the trumpets and, and everybody knows the king is coming. And they begin to think about, oh, they're going to revere you when they come, as they should, my, my lord and my king. But you've got to know this, king. When you come into town, the earth trembles. When you come into town, people stand in awe, as they should, my king. But I just want to ask you, king, in that particular instance, when we come in and it's loud and we're saying, the king's coming, the king's coming, the king's coming, do you think that she's going to be in any kind of place to fall in love with you? And so the king realizes, yeah, you're right. She won't fall in love with me. So he lays awake that night and he realizes what he must do. He realizes that he needs to sneak out in the middle of the night. But he needs to do it differently. He needs to go to her and he needs to, first, even though he needs to take off his royal robes, he needs to take off his signet ring, he needs to take off all the things that dignify him as king. And he needs to find some peasant clothes. And he needs to put those on and he needs to go to her village and take up residence in her town and dwell with her for a while and woo her as an equal. Church, think about this. Jesus Christ left heaven for you. That's what he did. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, did that for you to prove to you he is not distant. He is close to you, and he longs to know you. He dwells with us. He is a good father. He draws near to us. 
You know, if you think about all the behind the scenes, and it was so good this week to have to slow down a little bit and just to kind of go, that is so much more than a manger scene. That is the symbol that God is with us. That is the symbol that though the creator God saw that it was good and he rested and it was good, it didn't stay good. It went south. And what was good became broken. But Jesus didn't, I, I love this. Jesus did not look at what was broken and say, figure it out. Instead, he entered into it. And the behind-the-scenes story of Christianity is this, that Jesus Christ came because he loves you, because he's not distant, because he truly is Emmanuel, because he wants you to know, I am with you, and I know you. This little girl at, at school came up to Christina and my wife this week on Friday afternoon, and this little girl was in a little bit of a panic, and she said, Mrs. Dart, Mrs. Dart, and, and then she held out her little hand, and, and she said, I've been noticing this, and I just wanted to ask you about it. She said, I've been noticing that one of my fingers, little girl, one of my fingers is longer than the other ones. <laughs> so troubled. Christina said, oh, sweetie. Um, she said, it's okay. She said, that's just how God, that's just how God made you. That's how fingers, you know, that's just how they grow. You have this little one, and this is how, that's how it works. And the little girl looked back at her, and she looked down at her hand, and, and she said this. She said, no. She said, I think he made a mistake. <laughs> She's like, no, no, you're good, right? Let me just say this to you this morning. God did not make a mistake when he made you. And God did not make a mistake when he sent his son to this earth. And God did not make a mistake when that son grew up to be a man. And God did not make a mistake when that man willingly went to a cross. And God did not make a mistake when that man, Jesus Christ, proved that he was God by rising from the dead. And I believe that God did not make a mistake for you to hear, I hope crystal clear this morning, that's the gospel. That's the good news. I mean, that's what it means. It is so much more than a nativity scene. It is this symbol that the creator God, out of his humility and his love and his grace, said, I will come. I will dwell with them. I will be able to sympathize with them in whatever they're going through, whether it's your child or your marriage or what, how you're thinking, this is it, I'm ending my life. Whatever you're facing, God jumps right into that. And he says, I will take care of the brokenness in this world and in your life because my perfect son is the one that you can trust. Our band's going to come out here and they're going to sing a song over us called God With Us. Beautiful song. But I just want to ask you this question as they come out and as they sing. I, I want you to think about this this morning. The name of God, Emmanuel, is God with us. And, and this truth, I hope that it becomes very clear to you that God has drawn near to you and he has moved heaven and earth to draw near to you. And so this very simple question, I just want you to ponder this during this song. It's this, God, you've drawn near to me. Have I drawn near to you? God, by your life, it's this invitation. It's wooing me in. It's saying, I have gone to great extremes to know you. And I believe it's important that you have to, you answer the question, Am I willing to draw near to you, God? Do I let down my guard today? Do I submit to the king? And so I want you just to think about that as, as we sing together this song. So yeah, let's stand together.